Welcome to the Job Search SOS podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Nancy Pinto. I'm Chris Pinto. Together, we are Pinto Employment Search, a recruiting company specializing in the logistics and supply chain industry. You can find us online at pintoemployment.com, on LinkedIn and Facebook at Pinto Employment Search LLC, and Instagram at Logistics Jobs USA. We will link to all those in the show notes. Please connect with us. All right. We've got new trivia this week and a couple of updated jobs. Chris doesn't know what any of this trivia is. California. In the don't forget where you came from category, Beverly Hills used to be a lima bean farm. In 1838, the land was owned by Maria Rita Valdez Villa. Nice. Okay. I, of course, looked over to you for uh, approval. (laughs) a Mexican-African widow of a Spanish soldier. She started a cattle and horse ranch and built a house at what is now the corner of Sunset Boulevard and Alpine Drive. Then, in 1852, her ranch was attacked by Native Americans. She survived, but two years later, in 1854, she sold her land to Henry Hancock and Benjamin Wilson. A few years after that, a water shortage, and drought killed their livestock. Fast forward to 1868, and the land has a new owner, Edward Pruce? Sounds good to me. (laughs) Edward Pruce, who wanted to establish a community for immigrant German farmers. He was going to call it Santa Maria. In the meantime, he needed cash to pay taxes, so he converted the ranch into lima bean fields. Whoa. It's hard to picture any part of L.A. being farming, right? Yeah. (laughs) Is any part of that structure still there? Do we know? Uh, I don't know. Mm, I don't know where Alpine is. I know where Sunset is, obviously. Yeah. I'm not sure. But, yeah, she had the whole, I forget how many acres, but what makes up modern-day Beverly Hills, the whole city was hers. The whole the oh, whole, oh all it was huge. Big, yeah, it was humongous. She was grant. She was given the deed by the Mexican government. Oh, wow. That was in those days where the Mexican government still controlled California. Wow. Okay. In Long Beach, we're looking for a sales manager for an ocean carrier. In Los Angeles, we're looking for a sales executive for a freight forwarder and a sales representative for an ocean carrier. And in West L.A., we're looking for an ocean import operations coordinator. I know some of those sound repetitive, but... (laughs) (laughs) Let's cross the country to Georgia, shall we, Nancy? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Chris. (laughs) Back over to you. Okay. Just a few miles from downtown Savannah is the small town of Pinpoint, Georgia. Pinpoint is home to a strong Gullah Geechee community. Gullah refers to the language. Geechee refers to the people, whose ancestors were brought over from West Africa as slaves to work in Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, and Florida. The most famous resident of Pinpoint is Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. The language, a mix of African American and Creole, was made up by the slaves to keep the plantation owners from knowing what they were saying. Through the centuries, they've kept up their traditions, including language, food, arts and crafts, music, and religion. Their values include simplicity, good manners, living by only what you need, and respect for elders. 
please consider a visit to enjoy the beautiful nature, rich cultural traditions, and to learn more. Oh, I want to go. It's right by Savannah? Yeah, it's like 10 miles from Savannah. I don't even know how I stumbled upon it. Oh, looking for things to do in Savannah. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's this little community, this unincorporated little town. I think the population is 300 something. And you know, on a personal note, I'm Puerto Rican and we're a mix of European, Native American and African to different degrees. Mm -hmm. But we have, you know, part of our ancestry is West Africa because of the slaves that came from West right, Africa to, right. yeah, not just the U.S., but to South America. So I thought, wow, this is really interesting and in how they've held on for centuries. That's awesome. I want to go. So, okay, so, uh, that's what I was going to ask you. So it, they want tourists to come there. Yeah. And check it out. Okay, cool. Yeah, they have a nice little community and, and you can get authentic food and Yeah, we immerse, should go. Yeah. If you're in the Savannah area... Go visit and let us know how it is. So for as far as jobs, we have uh, an opening for a sales manager for an ocean carrier in Atlanta. And in Woodstock, we're looking for an export coordinator for a shipper. Heading up to Illinois. Many Chicago residents get around by train. In the winter, the tracks can easily freeze up and stall rail service. Can't have that. So the city put on their thinking caps... <laughs> and came up with the idea to install little gas burners along the tracks to melt the snow and ice so that the trains could keep moving smoothly. Basically, they set the tracks on fire. <laughs> that sounds like it's made up. <laughs> oh my God, so they put little gas burners all along the railroad tracks. Mm -hmm. For thousands of miles, I'm assuming. Maybe just in Chicago. Okay, I didn't dive too deeply yeah. because, yeah. yeah, it is on a on, on Ill, things to know about Illinois. Quirky facts about Illinois site. That is quirky. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, I'm thinking, like, there's so many tracks, you figure, just throughout Chicago. Yeah. That's, I don't know if it's thousands of miles. I don't know how many. Right. It's probably a lot of miles. Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> so in Chicago, we are looking, I'm sorry, Nancy, did you want to read that? <laughs> We're looking for a sales rep for an ocean carrier. <laughs> Thank you. Back to you. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the carrier, by the way? Going to Maryland, there's a town in the upper left corner of Maryland called Accident. Did you know that? I did not. <laughs> it was incorporated in 1916, and as of 2021, the population was 338. We will read from their official website to explain how the town got its peculiar and alarming name. Quote, About the year 1751, a grant of land was given to Mr. George Deacons by King George II of England in payment of a debt. According to the terms, Mr. Deacons was to receive 600 acres of land anywhere he chose in Western Maryland. Mr. Deacons sent out two corps of engineers, each without knowledge of the other group, to survey the best land in the area. After the survey, the engineers returned with their maps of the plots they had surveyed. To their surprise, they discovered they had surveyed a tract of land starting at the same tall oak tree and returning to the start point. Mr. Deacons chose this plot of ground and had it patented the Accident Tract. 
hence the name of the town. End quote. Nancy was hoping for something a little more juicy, but she thought this was very cute. <laughs> was I supposed to say that as if it was a thought yes. off the top of my head? <laughs> you get grace for not knowing any of this beforehand. <laughs> okay, in my reading of this, okay, so they started at the oak tree. So I, I read it as they surveyed the same land. The two surveying groups? And they didn't know? They weren't supposed to? It said... They could survey 800... Oh, just find the best land in the area. Oh, and just they both surveyed. Off. I yeah. got it. So I guess they did it by accident. <laughs> I'd like to know what Mr. Deacons did where King George II owed him money. <laughs> I thought so, too. I thought I read that wrong. <laughs> I wonder what happened to uh, Mr. George Deacons' ownership of the land after the revolution. Oh... I don't know. I don't know. That'll be uh, for another trivia episode. That'll be episode. on another episode, yes. Well, we have one job we're working on in that great state, and it is in Pikesville for an export customer service rep for a uh, freight forwarder. And now on to Massachusetts. Since we're in the middle of basketball season, did you know that the game was invented in Springfield? This uh, reminds me of the Frasier episode where he's doing the banter for the parade. <laughs> With Dr. Mary? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> the first float was probably the Trojan horse, which was a gift to the people of Troy. Once brought inside the city walls, however, they discovered it was filled with Greek soldiers who slaughtered their Trojan enemies in the streets. But modern floats have come a long way since then. We hope. Well, this float comes to us as a gift from Seattle's sister city, Managua, Nicaragua. You know, I like the way that sounds. Managua, Nicaragua. Sounds like the name of a fine Latino man. Would you like to dance, Dr. Mary? Yes, I would, Managua, Nicaragua. Shake that cute little Costa Rica for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Since we're in the middle of basketball season, did you know that the game was invented in Springfield, Massachusetts by a 30-year-old Canadian gym teacher named James Naismith? Mr. Naismith, who taught at the YMCA International Training School, needed something to keep the kids from getting bored in the winter. So he put on his thinking cap, a lot of <laughs> thinking caps are being put on, and invented this game where the object was to, quote, throw a soccer ball into a peach basket attached to a balcony 10 feet above the floor. He came up with 13 rules, including nine players per team, and on December 22nd, 1891, the first game was played. Sorry, December 21st. What did I say? 22nd. Wow. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I found it curious that it was a peach basket. I wonder if that was the only thing around. Maybe. Not like a fruit basket or any old basket. It was specifically a peach basket. Mm. Now, um, wasn't there some game that they played like in ancient times? where they had to throw a ball through this big... Uh, I'm picturing something that stuck, came out of the wall sideways. And it was like you you throw the ball through the hoop. And the other thing I remember about it was the winning team gets to kill and eat the losing team. <laughs> so did that happen in December 21st, 1891 in Massachusetts? Hopefully not. I, I doubt it. Okay. <laughs> But if it did, that'll be on another installment. Yes. In that great state, they're all great states, aren't mm -hmm. they? Yes, they are. 
in Peabody. We're very busy. We're looking for an air export coordinator, an air export manager, and a licensed customs broker. Shall we head down to New Jersey? Yes, let's. Our home state? Yeah. How much do you know about the infamous Hindenburg disaster? Here's a quick review and some interesting facts. The Hindenburg was a luxurious passenger airship, the largest ever constructed. Think Titanic in the sky. Oh, that's a nice uh, <laughs> thought. <laughs> Iceberg, right ahead! <laughs> it was designed and built by the Zeppelin Company. Thank you. <laughs> Luftschiffbau Zeppelin Gumbria in Friedrichshafen, Germany. You know our German friend is going to be listening and she's going to oh. be cringing uh, and kill us. <laughs> uh, be ready for some angry letters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was operated by the German Zeppelin Airline Company, Deutsche Zeppelin Reederei. How's that? That works for me. <laughs> Construction began in 1932. The length was 804 feet. To compare, a Boeing 747 is only 232 feet, and the Titanic was 883 feet. First flight was March 4th, 1936. Total number of flights was 63. Cruising speed was 76 miles per hour, and max speed was 85 miles per hour. It took roughly two days to cross the Atlantic. In 1936, the Hindenburg made 17 round trips across the Atlantic, 10 to the U.S. and 7 to Brazil. It also surprised the Brits by flying over England a couple of times. In May 1936, it flew over central England near Manchester and dropped a package which landed in the town of Keeley. Two boys found it and opened it. It contained a small silver cross, a bouquet of carnations, and a letter dated May 22, 1936, which read, To the finder of this letter, please deposit these flowers and cross on the grave of my dear brother, Lieutenant Franz Schulte. One garde... <laughs> it's like a location. <laughs> oh, my God. One garde rect zu fuss. POW in Skipton Cemetery in Keeley near Leeds. Many thanks for your kindness. John P. Schulte, the first flying priest. However, historian Oliver Denton speculated that perhaps the Germans used that as an excuse to fly low over northern England to get a good look at its industrial activities and geography. The Hindenburg was powered by flammable hydrogen instead of helium because the U.S. had a global monopoly. <laughs> because the U.S. had a global monopoly on helium and refused to export it to Germany for fear it would be used for military purposes. To be fair, the Nazis were coming into power then. It had a big smoker's lounge, really. <laughs> a specially made lightweight piano which actually wasn't on board for the last flight, and 17,000 pieces of mail, some of which actually survived and was able to be delivered a few days later. Last flight, May 6, 1937, number of souls aboard, 97. Accident site, Lakehurst, New Jersey. Lakehurst is in South Jersey, near the coast, about 60 miles south of Newark and 60 miles east of Philly. That evening, the Hindenburg was coming in for a landing and was only around 200 feet up 
when it burst into flames and plummeted to the ground. Number of survivors, 62. Number of deaths, 36. 13 passengers, 22 crew on board, and one worker on the ground. Some survived by managing to jump out of the airship and run away. The exclamation, oh, the humanity, came from radio reporter Herbert Morrison, who covered the disaster. Oh, the humanity. The exact cause of the accident was never determined. Everything from faulty engineering to a gas leak to sabotage has been proposed. A lot of this was new to me. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Did you know all this? You're Well, you're a big history buff, so I would expect that you were familiar with some of this. I'm familiar with it. I couldn't have told you how many survived. I knew it was going to Lakehurst. I was, I didn't know anything about dropping stuff in, um, in London mm-hmm. or how many voyages it took. I knew that it was coming in when it was coming in for the landing. It burst into flames. Mm-hmm. And that, oh, the humanity came from that. I didn't know that. All this shit, like all my first memory of learning about this was I was little mm-hmm. and my dad was watching a documentary <laughs> on the Hindenburg. I was probably like six or seven. And I'm just sitting there watching this thing explode. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, that's traumatic. I don't think I slept well that night. <laughs> and I remember. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. I also didn't know that it was like there was a, a conference room with a world map painted on the wall. There was a restaurant, a mess, a kitchen. It gets compared a lot to the Titanic. Iceberg, run ahead! Ah, I didn't know it was that big. I didn't know it was like a floating Titanic. It was close in size to it. Yeah. No, I didn't know anything about the inside. Yeah, I was picturing like the blimp. Yeah. Where it's all this huge blimp, and then you got the little tiny thing in the bottom with like a bunch of people waving. Yeah, I picture there's no one in the body of it. I'll have to look up some pictures on that. Yeah, there's a lot of pictures online. Mm. Mm-hmm. So that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we uh, have a few jobs in the in New Jersey. In brighter news. <laughs> in Carlstadt, an air freight manager. In East Rutherford, an air freight supervisor. Is Lynn, an assistant sales manager and a customer service operations specialist. Jersey City, a sales executive for a freight forwarder. Carney, an ocean import operations coordinator. Springfield, inside sales representative. And that is, we have to make a note, it is a sales role with full sales responsibility, budget responsibility, but it's based inside the office. Right. And Union, a sales executive for a freight forwarder. And now across the river to New York. Now to something more fun than the Hindenburg. <laughs> Isn't everything? <laughs> Setting the bar kind of low. <laughs> The ice cream cone was invented in New York City by a resident of New Jersey who had immigrated from Italy. The credit and the patent, patent. <laughs> the credit and the patent goes to Mr. Italo. Oh. <laughs> You're Italian. I'm Italian. <laughs> Mr. Let me try it again. Italo. Is that better? Thank you. Mr. Yeah. Italo Pietro Marcione. <laughs> Born on December 21st, 1868 in Piao. <laughs> that one I'll give you because I didn't look it up. <laughs> P-E-A-I-O. Peio. 
Italy, <laughs> which is in the northern part of the country. I not think, <laughs> I think it's pronounced Fayo. Oh, Fayo. <laughs> Italy, which is in the northern part of the country, not far from the Austrian border. In fact. <laughs> I love how you're talking off when you don't know what you're about to read. I never read this. In 1890, he immigrated to the U.S. In 1896, he was living in Hoboken, New Jersey and selling iced treats from a pushcart on Wall Street. He used small glass bowls, which customers were supposed to give back when they were done, but that didn't work. So he spent the next few years trying to figure out another conduit for the ice cream. Finally, in 1902, he presented his newly invented edible waffle cone for a patent, which was awarded in 1903. In 1904, he traveled to the St. Louis Exposition to promote his tasty invention. From there, he built quite a big business even inventing the ice cream sandwich described by Wall Street brokers as, quote, more dignified to eat than iced cream cones. <laughs> End quote. It's kind of funny to picture these guys and all serious, like with a serious opinion mm -hmm. about which is more dignified. Yeah. I mean, an ice cream sandwich is amazing, but it's also not, um, you have to eat it with your hands or with a wrapper. Mm. And then, like the good humor ones, mm -hmm. no matter how hot or cold out, the little frosting from the chocolate <laughs> is going to stick to your fingerprints. Yes. <laughs> your fingerprints are going to be chock full of chocolate and you have to then even more dignifiedly lick each one off. Because <laughs> we don't waste it. No, We're not we going to wash it. it off. No, 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 no. not going to wipe that on your hanky. <laughs> Signor Italo retired comfortably in 1938 and died on July 27th, 1954, at age 85, at his home in Cliffside Park, New Jersey, he is buried in Jersey City, New Jersey. Chill town, my hometown. I hear you. <laughs> All that to say, we're looking for a licensed customs broker in Jamaica. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you. Virginia, D.C. Luray, Virginia, in the Shenandoah Valley, is home to the Luray Caverns, the largest cave system in the eastern United States. It is known as the Geology Hall of Fame. Its formation took over four million centuries. Whoa. Its modern discovery was in 1878, but Native Americans discovered it before the Europeans' arrival. Fun fact number one. 7,000 years ago, a massive earthquake dislodged a 170-ton, that's 340,000 pounds, stalactite. I see you laughing over there. Because <laughs> you paused. <laughs> well, I saw a strange word coming up. <laughs> but you know this word. It still lies there today, horizontal. Fun fact number two. It is the home of the largest musical instrument in the world, the stalactite organ. In 1954, Mr. Leland Sprinkle, are you making this up? No, isn't it great with the ice cream? 
That was just, that was oh the word. Oh my god. A kawinky dink. Fortuitous. Serendipitous. <laughs> What's the word? Dumb luck. <laughs> there it is. Mr. Leland Sprinkle, an engineer, mathematician, musician, and employee of the Pentagon, visited the cave. He saw how the guides would tap the stalactites to produce different tones. That inspired him to create, with the permission of cave management, <laughs> the cave had management? That's a pretty yeah, important cave. It is. <laughs> you can't just go around messing with the stalactites. That's right. All right, that inspired him to create, with the permission of cave management, an organ made of 37 specific, hand-selected, tested and tuned stalactites. Today, you can tour the cave 365 days a year and hear the organ playing. It's automated and only played live for special occasions. So there's a whole process. He found, he would like, I guess they make, they each produce a different tone. And he went around finding the best ones to, that he, that could be played as a, as an organ. Oh my God. And he filed them down and there's like this rubber mallet that when it's hit, it like touches the stalactite and it makes a sound and it, I've linked to it in the show notes. Oh cool. So in Alexandria, we are looking for an international operations specialist for a freight forwarder. Beautiful. And that does it. That oh. is all for now. The links to where we got our trivia will be in the show notes. For more info and full descriptions for all job openings, please go to PintoEmployment.com where you can safely and securely apply to any job for which you meet the requirements. Our website and contact info will be in the show notes of every podcast episode, so please feel free to share with anyone you know and reach out with comments, questions, or just to say hello. And if you like the show, please subscribe, share, and consider giving us a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. Thank you for listening to the Job Search SOS podcast. See, See you, you next, next time. time. <laughs> have you found your thing? I have not found my thing. Well, I haven't looked for it. Okay. Stop. The um, thing. <laughs> the thing. I got logistics jobs January 2023. Yes. 2023. What is a stalactite? It's those, those formations That's that hang what, from uh, cave a, ceilings. Is it called a stalactite? Well, there's stalactite and stalagmite, and I don't know the difference. One comes from the bottom, one comes from the top. Okay. There's no G in there? I thought it was, there was a G, but apparently it's spelled with a C. Okay, I thought this was p possibly a different thing. No. Okay. And I now I've lost got it. Got it. So you can find it. Nice. Have you found her? Oh, yes, Blanche, about a half hour ago. But now I've hidden her again, so you can find her. <laughs> Welcome to the Job Search SOS podcast. I'm Nancy Pinto. I'm Chris Pinto. We. Oh. Who reads this? <laughs> uh. Right. Oh, you, you can start. Oh, I do because you start with the trivia. Okay. Okay. Should we just start over? <laughs> sure. All right.